Last Sunday, a mom was taken out to lunch for Mother's Day. Her gift meal was at a Cracker Barrel restaurant in Virginia. And if you didn't miss the story, it was kind of an interesting meal. She had as part of her entree of vegetable soup. I'm not sure how much of the soup that she ate, but in one of her scoops in that soup, with her spoon, with her spoon she brought up a mouse about two inches long. And I doubt that's going to be a Mother's Day that she forgets anytime soon. But where'd the mouse come from? That was the big question that a lot of people were asking, and at this point in time, no one seems to know. It was suggested that maybe the mouse came from the soup supplier, and back at the uh, factory where they get the vegetable soup from, maybe it was there. It's also possible, though perhaps not very probable, that someone at the restaurant decided to play a trick on somebody, and they found a mouse and decided to put it in the soup before it was served. In life, Actions often fall into one of two classifications. There are those that are intentional and those that are unintentional accidents. A person might be tripped on purpose or tripped by chance. Somebody might be jabbed purposely or intentionally or it might be by coincidence. Today we want to look at another word for sin and it is a very unique word in that as you study the New Testament, you find that this word has two very different possibilities just like the mouse in the soup. There are some places in the New Testament where this word describes willful sin. That is, a person decides that he or she is going to do what is wrong, what is contrary to God's word, and that is exactly what they do. One of the places where we find this idea of willful sin, people intending to sin, is in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 and 5. Uh, this is one of the places where we find this word, today's word. Ephesians 2.1 translates it as trespasses. Paul said trespasses or willful sin will make us spiritually dead. Ephesians uh, 2.5 has the same term, but there if you have the King James, it is rendered sins. Uh, <coughs> excuse me. If you've turned to Ephesians 2, let's read verses 1 and 5. And you did he make alive when you were dead through your trespasses and sins. And then in the fifth verse, Paul continued, even when you were dead uh, through our trespasses made us alive together with Christ. By grace have ye been saved. Paul recognized that people at times commit intentional acts and the word that is here rendered sin or trespass says there's a consequence. Before we become a Christian, spiritually we become dead by this kind of activity. And because of this, each person then needs to become a Christian. We need to have our sins forgiven. This word that we're talking about in this sense of willful sin also occurs in the book of Romans. It occurs several times in Romans 4 and 5. It's also found in Romans 11. In fact, in Romans 4 5, the Bible says that Jesus was delivered up for our trespasses. Or other translations would say he was delivered up for our offenses. Same word. Another place where it occurs is Hebrews 6, verse 6. There the term, and it's a well-known passage, is rendered fall away. And the idea there is very serious. In Hebrews 6, 6, we can definitely see the idea of willful sin. So when we think about this word from this first sense, we have the idea of a, a terrible mistake, a blunder, a false step, something that we should not do but we choose to do anyway. In life, we sometimes hear people say, I made a poor choice. It may have been a financial investment. It may have been a moral choice, whatever it was. But people look back on the decision and say, that that was not a good choice. I did not use good sense. I did not use good judgment. In the spiritual realm, we find a word which has this same sense. People say, I messed up. I blew it. Well, that is one sense of the word, but that's not the sense that we want this morning. New Testament writers took this same word and they used it in a second sense that is not something that is, is perhaps brought up to our attention too often, but certainly it is a very practical sense. I want to share with you a couple places where it's used in this way. Uh, in fact, three or four places. We start with Matthew chapter 6, verse 14. Here Jesus said we are to forgive men their trespasses. Same word. 
As you look at Matthew 6, you can back up a little bit. In verse 9 of this chapter, Jesus introduced what has been called the model prayer. There, Jesus talked about honoring God. We need to think about the kingdom and to be interested in having our daily bread. Then he turned to the subject of forgiving others. And here's what he has to say in uh, Matthew 6, verse 14. For if ye forgive men their trespasses, there's the word, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. Now, if you want the spelling for this word, somebody a couple weeks ago asked me how these words were spelled. And I try to do that each Sunday, and here's the spelling for today's word. It's P-A-R-A-P-T-O-M-A. Now, aside from the Sermon on the Mount, and again, it's used here three times, Jesus also used it in um, Matthew 18, verse 35, if you have the King James translation. And there he said, we must forgive others our, their trespasses from uh, our hearts. So Matthew 6 and Matthew 18, we come to the second meaning for today's word for sin. And that meaning in the secondary sense is this. Sin is still bad. It's still wrong. But its severity is limited. Now I'm going to say that once again. Sin is still bad. It's still a transgression of God's law, but the severity is limited. And further explanation of that is found in Matthew 6, verse 14, forgiving people our trespasses. There are exceptions in life, but when people trespass against us, when people create an offense against us, what kind of act is it? That is, when people sin against us, what kind of things are occurring? What did Jesus have in mind when he said forgive people? Is the average person beaten up several times a year? I don't think that happens to the folks who are in this room. Are we robbed several times during the year? Did Jesus, when he talked about it in Matthew 6, verse 14, have in mind federal crimes that were being committed, or did he have in mind the smaller things of life? Most, I think, would agree that he's not talking about things of a criminal nature, but he's talking about things of a personal nature. Not many of the folks that I know call up the police several times a week and say, hey, go out and arrest this guy or arrest this woman because he or she engaged in some kind of nasty activity towards me. Most of the sins against us are minor offenses. They fall into these kinds of categories. There is a person who says something that we don't like. They don't uh, respect us in, in the way that we think that we need to be respected. They're not kind to us. There's a lack of courtesy. Someone has lied to us. Someone has lied about us. There has been an offensive or a crude or a rude mark made in our presence or perhaps when, when we were not there. Our injuries in life are generally quite small. Thus, when Jesus talked about this subject in Matthew 6, verse 14, he used a word which conveyed this very point. Again, it's still sin, but the severity is lessened. And I would express the thought in this way. All sin is sin, but not all sin is equal. All sin is sin, but not all sin is equal. And that principle is true in both the secular realm and the spiritual realm. Consider a couple of additional examples. Would you not say that all food is food, but not all food is equal? We would agree to that statement. All money is money, but not all money is equal. If you believe that it is, I'll give you a quarter and you give me a $100 bill. I'll make that exchange rate any time that you like. All religion is religion, but not all religion is equal. So by using this particular term, in its secondary sense, Jesus taught that there are certain sins which are less severe than others. If that's not true, and I'm going to be reading from Deuteronomy 21 in just a minute. If that's not true, consider the following and how you would answer it. Under the Old Testament, we read about a lot of different laws, a lot of legislation, and various forms of punishment. As we study the Old Testament, we find that not all of the punishment was equal. All sin was sin. People, when they engaged in wrong, it was definitely wrong, but all punishments for wrong were not identical. How come? 
The answer is that God begins, as we look at sin, to see some distinctions in sin. Deuteronomy 21, verse 22. It's towards the end of the chapter. Here's God says, And if a man have committed a sin worthy of death, and he shall be put to death. And God said, Go ahead and hang him on a tree. Now here God spoke about a sin that is worthy of death. That statement implies something. There were sins that justified death, and at the same time, God recognized that there were some sins which did not merit death. A similar thing is true in our judicial system. Not every person receives the same sentence. All crimes are crimes, but not all crimes are equal in their severity, and such is also the case with sin. Now, within the church, I have heard over the years, a lot of folks talk about and ask this question, is all sin the same? I've heard some people say there are not big sins and there are not little sins. All sin is sin. Well, I think that terminology is a little too imprecise for such an important matter, and I would not use that exact terminology because it's not very precise. But we can affirm with certainty that any violation of God's law is a violation of God's law. There's no violation of God's law that's good. We're certainly not advancing that position. We would furthermore say that every violation of God's law deserves to be punished. But we also at the same time would affirm that there are some distinctions when we deal with sin. Certainly we would point out these facts as well. One's involvement with sin can differ, does it not? A person may commit a sin one time or he may be involved with committing a particular sin for a year or more on an ongoing basis. Those two things are not going to be identical. Is a person's sin a slip or is it a habit? Does a person's sin affect himself or herself? or the entire congregation, or half a dozen people in, uh, in a congregation, or maybe it affects the entire brotherhood. Is the sin in thought, or is it in deed? There is a difference there as well. Wanting to choke someone and actually doing that are not identical. Both are wrong, but they are not equal. So the word which describes a less intense type of sin, though the lessened intensity is still powerful enough to condemn us, helps us begin to understand some verses that are well known in the New Testament. These verses are Galatians 6, verse 1, and James 5, verse 16. These words, uh, these passages have the same word that we're talking about. It's the same sense, and I want to read both of them. Galatians 6, 1 will be looked at first, and then James 5, verse 16. Paul said, brethren, even if a man be overtaken in any trespass, that is the word that we're looking at today, and it has, from what I can tell, this secondary sense. That is, it's still sin, but it's a less severe kind of sin. Paul said, ye who are spiritual, restore such a one, and yet do it in a way that is gentle. What is a trespass? Again, it's the same word that's found in Matthew 6 and verse, uh, um, also Matthew 18. Don't recall the verses offhand, and it has the milder sense of sin. Now, I don't want to limit the meaning of the term, but the general sense, to be, the general sense seems to be this. We're not in Galatians 6.1 dealing with a person who is a hardcore drug addict for 20 years. I mean, if we could help that person, that would be great. But that's really not what Paul had in mind when he talked about helping a fellow Christian. We're not talking about a person who is a hardened criminal. We're talking about average sins that average people can help with. We're talking about things that are really not uh, so severe. And James talked about a similar thing in James 5, verse 16. He said, confess your faults one to another and pray for one another that you might be healed. Again, he had in mind the what we might call the less severe kinds of sins. Now, somebody might say, well, Brad, all that's interesting, but how does it help me? It helps you in this way. Jesus, James, and Paul all talked about lesser forms of sin in the sense of severity. And Jesus said, we need to forgive people when they do these things to us, Matthew chapter 6. James said, when we find that kind of thing, we want to confess and pray about the matters. Paul said, get help uh, in some cases when people become involved in these kinds of things. Certain sins may be lesser than others, but it sure seems that they receive a lot of attention when we begin to look at the New Testament writers. How can we explain that? 
I submit that every person in this room knows the answer to that question. Is it not true? Ask yourself this question. Is it not the case that most folks in life take the lesser sins and turn them into the greater? You listen to the people that you are around this week and the people that you have talked to in the last month or so and see if it's not true as you think back to some of those conversations that the items which really irk them, it wasn't that somebody committed a federal crime and they had to go out and have them arrested and they're now marching off to the judge to prosecute them. But you think about the things that people are upset about in life and it, 99 times out of 100, consists of the smaller things of life. You hear someone who has a hateful word said to them, and I almost promise you that the reaction on the part of most will be, it sounds like they killed somebody. Have you ever had that experience? It was such a small thing, but they blow it way out of proportion. Or you have a situation where there is a rude act, and that person will talk about that for weeks to come. It was like an arsonist, you know, burnt down the house. It really wasn't that big. But people take the small stuff, and they magnify it to an intense degree. And that seems to me to be why Jesus said what he did in Matthew chapter 6. He used this word in its secondary sense to say that when you have these kinds of things come up, recognize their significance, really their, their lesson significance, and you need to go ahead and forgive people. If it becomes an issue, deal with it in the way that's described in James 5 verse 16 or help people with it, Galatians 6 verse 1. God put a special word in the New Testament which tells us as his people to pay attention to the little stuff. The people in the world are the folks who turn less severe sins, the molehills, into mountains. But God says to his people, that's not the way I want you to live. I want you to take those small things that come up from time to time, the things that are not really fun, the things that are not really irritating, the things that are not really fair, and Christ says, you deal with them in a different way. How come? Because you're my people. Because you're to be the salt of the earth, because you're to be the light of the people, because you are to reflect the the qualities and the glory of your heavenly father if we're a christian there's a better way to live and this little word this translated sin in this secondary sense tells us about it and i think most if they would look at their life they would say yes that is right that is the better way to live those petty things that come up we need to classify them as petty we need to let them go not let uh, them bother us from time to time and that is the right way to live if you're a Christian, we hope that's the way that you're living. It certainly is the right way. It's a wonderful way to live, and it's actually a great blessing. If you've not yet become a Christian, this is simply one of the many tools that God has given his people so that they can live the best kind of life. And you can start living as a Christian just as the people did in New Testament times by following the plan that's recorded in the New Testament. People had faith in Christ. They believed. They wanted to live in accordance with his word. That's called repentance, and that's what is involved in things like uh, were mentioned this morning. And then once a person confesses Christ as Lord, as people did in New Testament times, the Bible says they were baptized. Not to join a church, but they were baptized so they could enter into Christ. Galatians 3, verse 27. They were baptized so they could have their sins forgiven. Acts 22, verse 16. They were baptized so they could be joined to the one body created by the Lord, the church. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 13. And they were put into Christ so that they could begin living as a faithful New Testament Christian. If you've not taken those steps this morning, those are the steps that God requires from you to become one of his children. And we'd like to help you take those steps. If you have, and as a Christian, perhaps you've gotten off on the wrong road, you, for whatever reason, let those small things uh, bother you and trouble you, it's time to let them go. And Paul said sometimes, Galatians 6 verse 1, we can help people uh, in that way. James 2, uh, we can pray one for another. 
And if as a Christian you can use some help in that area, you want to become a child of God, or there's any other way that we can assist you, we invite you to come now as we stand and sing this elected song.